This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome back to Historical True Crime, the podcast where we take a look back at history's darkest crimes and criminals. I'm your host, Lizzie, and today is episode 28. Our episode will be in Ireland in the 12 to 1300s. Last week, we touched a little bit on witchcraft in our story around the blood countess, Elizabeth Bathory. And if you're interested in witchcraft, you'll definitely like this episode because today is about the first witch burning in Ireland, and it's all about accused witch Alice Kettler. The first actual witch burning occurred in Ireland. This is despite the fact that witches were typically executed by hanging throughout the British Isles, with the exception of Scotland. To add to the confusion, it's the servant of the supposed witch rather than the witch herself who was burned at the stake. The setting is the affluent town of Kilkenny, Ireland, and the conflict that existed at this time in Ireland between the religious and secular authorities is one of the most dynamic features of the trial of Alice Kettler. Let's talk a little bit about Kilkenny and Ireland in this time period. So Kilkenny is an ancient Norman settlement that is commonly called Marble City because of its black marble quarries. It's located on the River Nore. King James I of England granted Kilkenny the status of a city in 1609. Although there is evidence of civilizations in the area dating back to the second century, it wasn't until Kilkenny was made the capital of the Norman colony in Ireland in the 12th century that the city gained great significance. The first castle was constructed from wood in 1173. Uh, This was by the renowned Strongbow, who had been appointed Lord of Leinster. Kilkenny would serve as the colony's administrative center from the early Norman period through the late 12th century. There is still a strong sense of Norman influence that can be found throughout the town. So it's the secular and religious authorities who both govern different facets of daily life, and they must have clashed when Kilkenny started to grow as a commercial town and numerous artisans began to establish businesses there. It's here that charges of witchcraft surfaced in the town at the beginning of the 14th century. These were based around prominent women in the community, brought about by underlying tensions between the church and state. 
It's in this environment that the story of Alice Kettler begins. So it's believed that Alice's ancestors arrive in Ireland somewhere in the middle of the 13th century as Flemish traders. In 1280, Alice's family moves to Kilkenny and her father is involved in the banking industry. She's an only child, and when her father passes away in 1298, she receives his estate as well as his entire business. Again, shortly after her father passes, Alice will wed William Outlaw, a previous business partner of her father, who is 20 years her senior. William was not just a great banker, but he's also related to Roger Outlaw, who would eventually hold the position of Lord Chancellor of Ireland. William is the name of Alice and William Outlaw's only son, and he'll play quite a big part in this story later on. Alice's son, William, goes on to continue the family's banking business and appears to have been a man of great wealth and prominence. Again, he plays a significant role in the dramatic proceedings surrounding his mother's witchcraft trial. Alice makes the decision to expand her home on St. Kiernan Street and turn it into an inn after the birth of her son, William. According to reports, Alice was exceptionally attractive and skilled at persuading men to give her presents and favors. As a result, many men, both young and old, attend the inn and sought out her attention. It's around the same time that rumors about Alice engaging in satanic rites and rituals start to circulate. It's said that her spouse had allegedly forced open a press in the home's basement, before he passed away suddenly and mysteriously. It's alleged that the cabinet had a variety of witchcraft implements, including worms, nightshade, dead men's hair, and raven's eyes, all of which were cooked in a pot made from a thief's chopped skull. So Alice's husband did mysteriously pass away, and it's only after a few months of being widowed that Alice will wed Alan LeBlund, a banker who's already the father of several kids. LeBlund will die in 1310 after going on a drinking binge, and like her first husband, he leaves Alice a sizable estate. If rumors are to be believed, Dame Alice is on her way to becoming one of the wealthiest ladies in Kilkenny, and perhaps the most evil person alive. She had assembled a large group of young maidens to assist her in managing the inn, which was the busiest in all of Kilkenny. Together with her son, Alice ran a lending business, where they kept the profits hidden. William once asserted ownership and guardianship of more than £3,000 for the two, at a time when the daily wage for most people was less than two cents. Now, Alice would remarry in 1311. Richard Duval, her third husband, was a wealthy landowner with numerous holdings in and around Clonmel. Richard was in his prime when they get married, but his health gradually begins to deteriorate. One evening, after enjoying a sumptuous lunch, he suddenly dies. After that, Alice has to file a lawsuit against Duval's son for failing to pay her widow's dower. Again, Alice will benefit from this tragedy because she's set to receive her late husband's entire estate. And I'd usually say multiple dead husbands is very suspicious. Although remember, this is the 1200s and 
Modern medicine is not even a thought in anyone's mind. You could die from a simple infection at the drop of a hat. So it's hard to say whether this was nefarious on Alice's behalf or simply a series of really unfortunate events. But her story is about to get even more interesting because according to irishidentity.com, Throughout this period, Alice has been immersing herself even more fully in the study of demons. Robin, son of Artisan, was also her lover and her favorite demon. Additionally, it's rumored she would oversee the gruesome dismemberment and sacrifice of live animals to demons that took place at a crossroads every evening. By this time, Kilkenny is experiencing considerable scandal, over the sudden deaths of Alice's unfortunate husbands, and several concerns begin to be raised. Alice appears to have been quite a wealthy woman before she was ever married, but with the estates of her three dead husbands, her wealth greatly increased. It's around 1320 when Alice will marry her fourth husband. Like his predecessors, he was of Norman descent. John Lepore had been a regular client at the Kettler Inn for a long time and had fallen victim to Alice's spell. She was said to be able to infatuate men and put them in a situation where they would give her all of their wealth. However, it will be the fourth husband of Kilkenny's Mary Widow who unintentionally sets off a series of events that results in Alice being found guilty of witchcraft in front of an ecclesiastical court. Despite only being middle-aged, John's health begins to decline. He notices that he's weak and sluggish, and portions of his hair are thinning and becoming gray. He decides to make a revision to his will just before he dies, benefiting Alice and her son William, which enrages and infuriates his other family members. After John dies... His other family members will present accusations of witchcraft and sorcery against Alice before the English-born Franciscan Bishop of Ossory, Richard de Lededra. They would assert that Alice bewitched her husband, which caused him to alter his will. According to author Curran in his book A Bewitched Land, which is in Warlocks of Ireland, the possibility that Dame Alice may have murdered her three husbands is also raised. The term witch and poisoner were frequently used interchangeably in medieval Ireland and England. Deledra declared he would look into the matter. He called a court of inquisition made up of five knights and a number of nobles to examine the facts of the case while on a visit to Kilkenny in 1324. Some reports suggest that de la Ledra was preoccupied with the occult and witchcraft, and that he was determined to establish the dominance of the church in Kilkenny, which was a city that was becoming increasingly affluent, but secularized. Just as a quick aside, witchcraft and sorcery appear to have been crimes tried in secular courts rather than ecclesiastical courts up until around the 14th century, and witches were only punished by the church as heretics in Ireland. Witchcraft appears to have been widespread throughout Europe during this time, especially in Germany and the Low Countries. So it's a bit different than perhaps our ideas of witchcraft and trials like what we hear about in Salem, which I hope to cover in a few episodes in this podcast later on. 
But of course, the Salem witch trials happened in the United States, and they were all the way in 1692 to 1693. So a completely different uh, time period than what we're talking about today. Again, according to uh, author Curran in his book, the Inquisition comes to a conclusion after much deliberation, although likely under the direction and influence of the bishop. They stated that Alice herself headed a coven or a group of heretical sorcerers that were now working in the town of Kilkenny. The Inquisition made a lot of accusations against them, again, perhaps instigated by the Bishop de la Ledra. I'm going to paraphrase the charges, but they went something like this. They were charged that they had denied the faith of Christ absolutely, that they offered sacrifices to demons of living animals that they had sought by their sorcery, advice, encouragement, and responses from demons, that they had blasphemously imitated the power of the church, and that in order to arouse feelings of love or hatred, or to inflict death or disease upon the bodies of the faithful, they made use of powders, unguents, ointments, and candles. Additionally, it's claimed that Alice was the incubus of the male demon known as Robin, and that she was the subject of his carnal knowledge, or in plainer terms, that they had a sexual relationship. She had apparently acknowledged that she had gotten her wealth through this demon. This minor demon is said to have made frequent uh, and violent appearances in various guises, including as a cat, a hairy black dog, Uh, and sometimes would appear with two other devils who were typically taller and larger than him, and one of whom would carry an iron rod. According to legend, these demons were summoned by presenting peacock eyes and red cocks as sacrifices. Many honorable citizens of Kilkenny, perhaps under the direction of the bishop, claimed to have witnessed Alice using a long broom to sweep the town streets between dusk and on. As soon as the Inquisition concludes, the bishop writes to Roger Outlaw, prior of Kilmainham and Chancellor of Ireland, requesting that several people, including Alice and her son, be detained on witchcraft charges. But remember, Roger is the brother of Alice's first husband, William. Alice's son, William, will organize a group of powerful individuals to oppose the bishop's demands after learning of the accusations leveled against him and his mother, one of whom was Sir Arnold Lepore, a central of Kilkenny and perhaps a relative of Alice's fourth husband. His participation in the opposition against the bishop is noteworthy because he's one of the town's top officials and prominent men. But the chancellor outlaw will reply to the bishop that the accused cannot be arrested until they are formally excommunicated by the church for a period of 40 days. And at the same time, Sir Arnold will write to the bishop, requesting that he drop the case or disregard it altogether. The bishop will take matters into his own hands and summon Alice, who at the time is living inside the Kilkenny border with her son William. And he summons Alice to appear before him and answer for herself. Unsurprisingly, Alice decides to disregard the summons and elude the bishop by traveling to relatives in England. The bishop then immediately excommunicates her. Now, William is given a heresy citation from the bishop and told to appear in front of him in 17 days. 
But Sir Arnold demands in his capacity essential that he should stop pursuing the accusations and threatens the bishop with arrest after trying unsuccessfully to reason with him. Sir Arnold remains true to his word and has the bishop arrested and imprisoned in Kilkenny Jail for 17 days. And the bishop won't be released until after John Darcy, the Lord Chief Justice, travels all the way from Dublin to Kilkenny. Darcy reviews the evidence presented before the Inquisition and rules that the sentence was just and appropriate. So Alice finds herself on the receiving end of a charge once again. In medieval times, being found guilty of witchcraft is a very serious crime that could result in the death penalty. Alice and her followers are sentenced to be beaten through the streets and tied to the back of a horse and cart before being burned at the stake. Alice, aided by Roger Outlaw, flees from Dublin to avoid her sentence. Unfortunately, it will be Alice's servant, uh, Petronilla of Meath, who faces the worst torture at the hands of the bishop, presumably because of her close relationship to Alice. She is forced to endure horrendous torture, including several floggings, in order to get a confession. The bishop will also find William guilty and give him an order to attend three masses daily and give charity to the needy. As part of his sentence, he's also required to fix the roof of the cathedral. The severity of William's punishment is in stark contrast to what happens to Petronella. She's sentenced to be burned alive on the bishop's orders, and the punishment is carried out in Kilkenny on Sunday, November 3rd, 1324. This is the only evidence of a burning at the stake in this case, and unfortunately, it's Petronella's execution. There's no proof as to what happened to her co-accused, so it is likely that potentially more people were also burned at the stake for witchcraft. We can't know the specific circumstances of these occurrences because they happened so many centuries ago. There's no doubt that the bishop pursued Alice and her associates with the full force of the ecclesiastical law. The bishop certainly appears to have been an unlikable figure. He was single-minded domineering, and totally certain that the rules of the church, which he represented, were superior to the rules of the state. However, it can be argued that the bishop is simply little more than a churchman who was very typical and representative of his era. It is, however, likely that petty spites and jealousies of the displeased stepchildren, who thought that Alice had cheated them out of their inheritance, were the actual motivations behind the accusations. I should mention that Alice is not punished or ever convicted for anything she's accused of, and it's likely that she just never returned to Ireland. There's still considerable talk about the Kettler case, especially in Kilkenny. The name is still used to refer to a pub in the town, the Kettler Inn, and Kilkenny is occasionally mentioned by travel agencies or tour companies as a witch town, and the location of one of the very first witch burnings. Nearly 800 years after this terrible event, in the 21st century, Alice Kettler still holds power, and unfortunately will go down in history as a witch. And that brings us to the end of the life and potential crimes of Alice Kettler. If you've enjoyed this episode, please remember to review, rate, subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. 
If you have any feedback for us or a case suggestion, you can find us on Instagram at historical true crime pod, or you can reach us by email at historical true crime pod at gmail.com. And we'll see you next week for another dark and notorious case from history. We'll see you then.